Hello, this is Ryan Fink. I'd like to welcome you to this week's Research Minutes, the CPRI Knowledge Hub's weekly podcast where we interview researchers about the latest work being done in the field to help improve education. This week, I speak with Dr. Sean Reardon, Endowed Professor of Poverty and Inequality in Education at Stanford University, about his study, Recent Trends in Income, Racial, and Ethnic School Readiness Gaps at Kindergarten Entry which was recently published in the American Educational Research Association's Open Journal. Dr. Reardon, thank you for joining me today. Thanks for having me. Can you just start uh, by giving us a bit uh, about the background for this work? Sure. So we were interested in the school readiness gaps between high and low income students and between white students, African-American and Hispanic students, partly because of a couple reasons. One is the, the achievement gaps in elementary, middle and high school between those groups are very large and have, at least in the case of income gaps, been getting larger uh, over the last few decades. And so we were interested to see is that widening of those gaps between high and low income students present already ready when kids are entering kindergarten, or is it something that's happening during the school years? The other thing, reason we're interested in this is because income inequality has continued to grow really for the last three plus decades. And so we were worried that that meant that the kinds of opportunities low income and high income students were having early on in their childhoods were increasingly different. And we wanted to see, was that reflected in a widening disparity in their school readiness? Those are great sort of rationales for these trends. And I thought in the paper itself, you did a great job of sort of laying out sort of where we've been with these trends and sort of the need to kind of re-examine them at the kindergarten level. So before we get to what you saw in those trends, you used uh, data from three nationally representative samples of kindergartens to estimate these trends in racial, ethnic, and, and income school readiness gaps. Uh, could you talk a little bit about which data sets you used and maybe what were some of the challenges you faced in using them? Sure. The, we used the three early childhood longitudinal studies. These are done by the National Center of Education Statistics, and each of them has a nationally representative sample of young children who are assessed sort of one-on-one by trained assessors to assess their math and reading skills and their some other skills around executive functions and approaches to learning. And then their parents are also surveyed in order to get information on their family background and the experiences they've had in early childhood. The first of these studies enrolled a group of kindergartners who were in kindergarten in the fall of 1998. And the last of them enrolled a group of kindergartners in the fall of 2010. So the time period we're really looking at is children who entered kindergarten from 1998 to 2010. And that's not as long a period as we might like, but it's, I think, an important period when a lot of changes in early childhood policy have happened. And so it's important to sort of see what kinds of effects those things might have had on the readiness of children. I mean, what patterns of change in readiness uh, were you able to identify? So first, the, the really, I think, surprising finding, certainly surprising to us, was that the school readiness gap in, in math skills and reading skills between high and low income students actually narrowed significantly from 1998 to 2010. It was about uh, 10, 15% smaller gap in, in those 
uh, early literacy and early numeracy skills between high and low income students in 2010 then in 1998. And we had expected, given rising income inequality and given the trends in widening achievement gaps among high income students in older ages from earlier cohorts, we might have sort of seen it widening or at least staying flat. But the fact that it narrowed is both good news and surprising and, and an interesting puzzle because it's sort of not what our our prior prediction would have been. In addition to that, we looked at the racial achievement gaps in readiness. We didn't find significant changes in the academic measures of readiness. The gaps were a little bit narrower, but not so much narrower to be statistically significant. The race gaps did narrow in terms of behavioral measures and, and approaches to learning. That's a sort of measure of, of kind of kids' ability to sort of focus in classroom and, and stay on task and things, um, you know, sort of ready to learn. So there were some improvements in the gaps in those behavioral learning readiness measures, but not a, a substantial gap, a narrowing in the academic math and reading skills by race. And you're right, that sort of that low income, high income reduction in that gap uh, was surprising. And you do a nice job, again, of explaining that in the paper. You mentioned just now in sort of presenting that finding, it, it kind of creates a bit of a puzzle. I mean, again, some of the setup for the study and some of the impetus for this is widening uh, income inequality, which would lead one to believe that, that things are, quote, getting worse um, in, instead of narrowing, as you have found. And so uh, in terms of thinking about that puzzle um, and, and trying to come up with some solutions or at least some questions that might lead us to potential explanations, kind of what evidence or, or uh, might you look towards to help start identifying sort of potential explanations for what you found? So, I mean, there's a couple, I think, likely sorts of explanations, or at least ones worth exploring. And one is that there may have been important changes in preschool enrollments or the quality of preschool environments that low-income students have experienced in 2010 relative to 1998, uh, given that there's been a lot of push towards improving the quality of of preschool and in some states expanding access to public preschool and so on. So one possibility is that there's been improvements in access or quality of, of preschool, particularly for low-income students, and that's helped them become more ready for school at the time they enter kindergarten. Another possibility is that families are doing different things with their kids uh, when they're young, um, things that might help them develop the kind of early literacy skills, knowing your alphabet, knowing your numbers, shapes, colors, counting, things like that. And if families are sort of changing those, the kinds of behaviors they do in terms of how much they read to their kids or counting with them or playing games that would help them develop those skills, then that might be part of the factor as well that explains it. In a, in a second paper that uh, we published, and so this, the paper that I've been talking about was written by myself and Jimena Portilla, who's a researcher at MDRC. We, we did a second paper I, I did with uh, Daphna Bassock at University of Virginia, Jane Waldfogel at, at Columbia, um, and uh, several other colleagues, and we looked more closely at kind of trying to answer this question of why the gaps might have narrowed. And what we did was we looked at these same studies, these early childhood longitudinal studies, but we looked at the parent surveys. So in each 
in each of the surveys, they surveyed parents and asked them lots of questions about the kinds of things they did with their kids and the preschool experiences they had. And so we looked to see had those things changed, the kinds of things parents were doing from 98 to 2010. And we, we did find some very interesting and sort of suggestive patterns of change. So for example, parents report in 2010, their kids are more likely to use computers to play games that are designed to help them learn reading or math skills. So on average, parents report a lot more of that in 2010 than 1998, which is not surprising since computers are much more available and, and ubiquitous now. But big increase was among low-income families. The low-income families weren't doing much of that at all in 1998 and more than doubled the rate at which they were doing that by 2010, where the rate for high-income families was high in 1998 and, and about the same in 2010. And so in some of these kinds of measures of the kind of cognitively stimulating activities that kids were engaged in early on, we see bigger increases in those activities among the low-income families than we see among the high-income families. And so that suggests that some of what driven these narrowing of the income achievement gap at, at ready at kindergarten start is really about changes in what families are doing at home. Now, we can't say definitively that's the cause of it, but it's certainly suggestive. And it may be that some of these public information campaigns like Reach Out and Read or 30 Million Words or Too Small to Fail, some of these big campaigns that are sort of aimed at reminding parents how important it is to think about your child's uh, cognitive or socio-emotional development, that those have started to sort of filter into the collective consciousness and that all parents, not just high-income parents, have started to do some of those things more with their kids. And we're seeing some payoff from that in the kinds of skills kids have when they, when they get to kindergarten. Now, again, we weren't able to sort of formally test that but it's, those are some of the kind of hypotheses or ideas that are at least consistent with the data we see um, and might be the reason why we see these improvements. Those, those seem like logical places to begin to in, investigate and look more into. But before we, we get too far down saying, okay, these gaps have, uh, have certainly narrowed and, and our next step now is to kind of dig into some potential explanations for that. I'm wondering about uh, if you could talk a little bit about sort of any any limitations to the study or any reasons to sort of uh, say, yes, we're, we're showing uh, the narrowing of this particular gap here, um, but there are reasons to sort of not go too far down the road in terms of celebrating or thinking we've we've got everything moving in, in the right direction. Are there any limitations that you would caution sort of readers to, to think about? I think we're pretty confident that the direction of the trend is, is right. The data are high quality. These are large samples. They're nationally representative samples. Now, that doesn't mean it's going the same direction every place or it's narrowing to the same amount everywhere, but I think the data are of sufficiently high quality that I think we feel confident that as a national average, those those trends really are in the direction of narrowing gaps. What we can't say, um, and what I think we would like to know, is are those gaps really narrowing because low-income students' skills are improving over time, or is it because the high-income students' skills were declining over time? Now, we can't answer that with these data, but we can look at other data to do that. So one thing is they interviewed the teachers in these of these children, too, the kindergarten teachers, and they asked them about kids' skills. And there's a nice paper by Daphna Bassock that looks at that, and she finds that the teachers consistently in 2010 report all kids sort of having higher average skills than they had in 1998. So that suggests that it's really because skills are rising, 
kindergarten readiness is improving for everyone, it's just improving faster for the, for the lower income students. Another piece of evidence on this is if you look at the test scores of students in fourth grade and the NAEP, the National Assessment of Education Progress, where racial gaps uh, in achievement have been narrowing a lot over the last 20 years, those gaps have been narrowing not because white student scores have gone down. In fact, white student scores have gone up over that time period, but black and Hispanic student scores have gone up much faster than white student scores. And so the gap is narrowing because of more rapid improvement among black and Hispanic students than white students. So both of those kinds of pieces of evidence suggest that we're not seeing in any data nationally a kind of decline in skills for anyone. In fact, we're generally seeing an increase in skills, but it looks like we're seeing faster increases in skills for the more disadvantaged populations, whether that's low-income students in kindergarten or minority students in fourth grade. So while we can't say definitively from these data, other data suggests that the gap is narrowing for sort of good reasons, right? Uh, we wouldn't particularly be happy if the gap narrowed because high-income students' scores went down. So I think that's good. Now, the, the other thing that I think is important to keep in mind here is these gaps are really very, very large when kids get to kindergarten. The difference in skills between high and low-income students is over one standard deviation, which is roughly six to nine months of school, like the whole year of kindergarten, essentially. So they're sort of a year behind. And the black-white gaps are smaller, but still quite large. And the narrowing has been, you know, 10 or 15 percent decline over 12 years. That's good news, but it suggests we still have a very long way to go. At that rate, you know, it will take another, I don't know, 70, 100 years or something before those gaps are eliminated. So we're not any anywhere near to having sort of eliminated the problem we've but at least the trend is in the right direction so so lastly i'll ask uh about implications. Again, audience here could include uh, state and district policymakers, uh, practitioners, particularly those interested in thinking about changes that might be made to early childhood and kindergarten. Are there are there implications that you offer from this work? One is the gaps are really large at kindergarten entry, and they don't actually grow much as kids progress through school. So the real time to try to reduce achievement gaps later on uh, or graduation disparities and things like is really, you know, to act as early as possible and eliminate these disparities in opportunity kids have in early childhood so that they get to kindergarten on an even footing and then can progress on that same footing. So the size of the gaps early on and the fact that they, in other research, we find they don't grow much at all as kids move through school suggest there's a lot of reason to focus kind of opportunity-based policies, school improvement policies in early childhood. The second thing I think is the fact that they've narrowed substantially in time period says these things are malleable. They're not fixed. It's not a it's not a fact of nature that there will be differences in school readiness when kids get to kindergarten. If we could move them 10 or 15 percent, we can move them more. And so I think that says we ought to think of these things as in our control. The evidence we have is suggestive that the changes in the kinds of things parents are doing at home can play a role that's complementary to the kind of changes that many states are making in terms of preschool access uh, and quality. And I think we ought to think about a kind of a comprehensive set of early childhood policies that both try to improve childcare and preschool quality and availability, but also try to make it easier for, for all parents to kind of be their child's first and best teacher. The, the data at least suggests that something societally is able to move those needles. And so figuring out how we can support families to do that more, I think, would be a promising thing. 
those are sort of sort of uplifting and sort of hopeful uh, implications, which are always nice to have as a result of research. Uh, I think that's a great note to end on. Uh, so I just want to thank you, Dr. Reardon, for joining me uh, today for this conversation. And I want to thank the listeners for listening to Research Minutes. To share your thoughts on this discussion, head to khconversations at cprehub.org. To subscribe to our weekly podcast and to listen to more interviews, head to soundcloud.com backslash cpre-knowledgehub. And for the latest videos, podcasts, and discussion updates, follow us at CPRI Hub on Twitter and at CPRI Knowledge Hub on Facebook. We look forward to hearing from you. <laughs>